At a recent press briefing, the media, who can't help but politicize everything, decided to ask the president about something Joe Biden has said, because the Democrats also just want to politicize everything. And Donald Trump decided to smack down Joe Biden, or as I like to say, nuke him from orbit. He responded by saying, Joe Biden didn't write that. It was some Democratic operative who did. And Joe Biden's not even watching this press briefing. And if he is, he doesn't understand it. Now, he's going after a few things. The media and the Democrats the entire time have been playing politics. But not just that, that, you know, progressives and Trump supporters both agree that Joe Biden is not all with it. Just the other day, Joe Rogan said he'd rather vote for Donald Trump over Biden because Biden's not all there anymore. So I'm going to have to agree with Trump on this one. Joe Biden would not understand it. But it's also true that Joe Biden and the Democrats have just been trying to politicize everything. Early on, when Trump enacted the travel ban from China and then later from Europe, Joe Biden criticized it. Now he's finally on board, even though Dr. Fauci, who everybody seems to like, said it was a good idea. It was a good effort to slow this down. We then see Pelosi and Schiff just trying to you know, start some investigations. Pelosi with their oversight committee, Schiff with another 9-11 style commission into the response. And then we see Chuck Schumer sending a letter to the president asking him to take certain actions that he had already taken. Apparently, Joe Biden did the same thing. The Democrats aren't getting on board. You know, the, the, the congressional and federal uh, level Democrats aren't getting on board with solving the problems. They're just trying to make everything about politics. The media then hops on board, protects Joe Biden, even though everybody who, you know, any rational person can see he's not all there. And they go after the president. They, they criticize him. They smear him. And they say he's making this political. He's throwing, you know, childish name calling around. Yeah. You know what? He kind of is. That smack down to Joe Biden, the Democrats, I got to admit, was kind of funny, a little mean, but you know, but they're the ones going after the president for his response while basically both campaigns are suspended. But what can Joe Biden do? I got I, I mean, to be fair, it's an election year and he can do nothing. He's proving completely useless. That's why this smackdown was so severe. Trump saying he's not writing it, showing he's doing nothing. And even if he's watching this, he doesn't know what's happening. A serious smackdown showing the Democrats aren't doing anything but gumming up the works while everyone else is trying to get the job done. Let's see what's going on. We'll get started with this story from Fox News, which I find kind of funny. Trump praises, then dings Biden during coronavirus briefing. Biden didn't write that tweet. It's funny because Fox, he's not really praising Biden. He's rubbing it in his face because Biden finally came around and agreed the travel ban was a good idea. Let's read the stories. Before we get started, however, head over to TimCast.com donate if you'd like to support my work. There are several ways you can give and help the channel, but the best thing you can do, share this video. That really, really does help. It helps the channel grow, helps me overcome the algorithmic hurdles being dropped in front of me. Just make sure as well to subscribe, hit the like button and the notification bell if you want to get more videos like this and support the channel. Let's read. Fox News says, President Trump on Saturday dismissed a critical tweet from Joe Biden saying the former vice president couldn't have authored the post because he doesn't write. Biden tweeted Saturday just before Trump's White House coronavirus briefing began that Trump wasn't responsible for COVID-19, but he is responsible for failing to prepare our nation to respond to it. When asked about the tweet during the press briefing, Trump said a Democratic operative wrote it and implied Biden wasn't capable. Look, man, I'm pretty sure every Bernie supporter and Trump supporter agrees. And that's like the overwhelming majority of this country. Yeah, Biden's not capable of writing that. I'm sorry. He doesn't write. 
He's probably not even watching right now, Trump said of the televised daily briefing. And if he is, he doesn't understand what he's watching. Woo, spicy, Mr. Trump. The Twitter, the Twitter prolific president added, Biden didn't write that he wished he did, but he didn't. Earlier in the briefing, Trump had kinder words for Biden. He acknowledged the former vice president is the probable 2020 Democratic nominee and said he appreciates Biden's support for the travel ban he enacted from China at the start of the coronavirus outbreak. Trump said it was very nice to hear Biden's backing Friday, especially since he took a lot of heat as being xenophobic and racist at the time he enacted the ban to slow the spread of the virus, Trump said. No, Trump is gloating and rubbing it in Biden's face. You see, early on, of course, it was all about politics. You know that Adam Schiff still had an investigation into Trump during and after the impeachment while all of this is going on. Now, of course, in the media, they'll say there's no evidence to suggest that the impeachment actually slowed Trump's response. And you know what? That's that's Trump giving him a freebie. Trump said he wouldn't have done anything differently, even if impeachment didn't happen. He didn't need to say that. Mitch McConnell was claiming impeachment was a distraction. But of course, the media will have their back. Let's read a little bit more. He, uh, so, so yeah, Biden's campaign on Friday told CNN that Biden backs Trump's restrictions on travel from China amid the global coronavirus pandemic. Deputy campaign manager Kate Bedingfield said Biden supports travel bans that are guided by medical experts, advocated by public health officials, and backed by a full strategy. You see, that's how they try to weasel around the fact that early on they were going for politics. At, it, it, look, it's always been this way. If Trump does it, it's bad. So when things, when the travel ban first started, Joe Biden was tweeting about climate change. When the, when Trump started talking, when, when Trump tweeted, uh, I'm sorry, when Trump gave the press statement about travel from Europe, Joe Biden said it was a bad idea. I kid you not. Check this out. On March 12th, Joe Biden said a wall will not stop the coronavirus. Banning all travel from Europe or any other part of the world will not stop it. This disease could impact every nation and any person on the planet, and we need a plan to combat it. This is the only thing they have. So you know what? Trump's right. Biden clearly wouldn't understand it, and neither would his operatives, the people working on his campaign in the DNC. They have no idea what they're doing. If Trump says it, just say the opposite. It's kind of like George Costanza in that episode of Seinfeld, if you know which one I'm referring to, where he just does everything. He says he's going to do the opposite of everything he would normally do. That's all they're doing. In response, Elizabeth Harrington of the RNC, a GOP spokeswoman, said, quote, be quiet, just let the experts speak. And she played a clip of Dr. Dr. Anthony Fauci saying the travel bans are helping. It was a good move. It was prudent to do. So why would Joe Biden speak out contrary to Dr. Fauci? Because the whole game they've been playing, orange man, bad. Joe Biden's going to do the opposite. Pelosi is going to want to, you know, do an oversight committee. Schiff wants to investigate. And Schumer is saying, Trump, do these things. And Trump's like, I did those two weeks ago. They clearly have no idea what's going on. They're sitting back and reacting to the president. No matter what he does, it was the wrong move. So no, Trump was not praising Joe Biden. He was gloating that he was right. And they're being forced to come around. The Biden campaign did not immediately respond to Trump's latest criticism of the tweet. But the campaign continued to make the case that Biden is better prepared to handle the global pandemic. That's absurd. And you're out of your mind if you think so. When Donald Trump was disregarding warning after warning and misrepresenting the dangers the coronavirus posed to the American people, Joe Biden was sounding the alarm about this historic threat. Andrew Bates, the Biden campaign's rapid response director, said in a statement, that is such an absurd lie. It is mind boggling. 
I've already shown you in previous videos. Joe Biden was tweeting about climate change and impeachment. And on March 12th, he, Joe Biden disagreed with the medical health experts. Ignore Trump. Trump did some stuff. The doctor said it was the right move and Joe Biden disagreed. No, he'd be very, very bad. And you know what? Joe Rogan agrees. We'll get to the next, the latest update there. Bates continued. When Donald Trump was gullibly praising China's handling of the crisis, Joe Biden publicly urged him not to buy their spin. Now there are more coronavirus cases in the US than any other country in the world, and we're losing jobs at record speed. The American people deserve to see competence, empathy, and strength in the Oval Office again. Uh, I agree with that last sentence, and it certainly ain't going to come from Joe Biden. So we have the latest update. I just got, I got to, I got to do this. The Joe Rogan thing. You see yesterday what happened? Joe Rogan in a podcast with Eric Weinstein said that he would rather vote for Trump over Biden because let's be honest, you know, Biden's not all there. Bernie Sanders is now under pressure to disavow Joe Rogan's endorsement after Rogan said he'd vote for Trump over Biden. So all of these Democrats are coming out of the woodwork to pounce on the fact that Rogan would rather have Trump. They're saying things like this proves that Bernie Sanders is, you know, fueled by far right bigots and all that stuff as if Joe Rogan was actually that instead of realizing that Bernie's like Joe Rogan being like a regular dude that people actually like and listen to. Bernie Sanders was able to attract regular Americans, people like Joe Rogan, and they threw it out the window for someone like Joe Biden. So Joe's a good dude. He's got his opinions. He's certainly not right about it, right about everything. And he's even self-deprecating to that to, to, to that effect. But that shows you that Bernie Sanders, he speaks to people. He really does. Now, my, my beef with, with Bernie Sanders is more so on some of the latest flip-flopping on immigration, some of his policies, which I think don't work. But I'll tell you what, man, Bernie Sanders can actually articulate his ideas. They may be bad ideas, but he can speak. Trump certainly has some bad ideas too. Bernie and Trump both have good ideas. I'm not here to, to tell you who, who you should or shouldn't vote for, unless it's Joe Biden, because I agree with Joe, man. Look, when, when, you, when you go to the voting booth, I don't care. But Biden, seriously, I can't believe some of my friends who actually said they think he has dementia, but they'd vote for him anyway. To me, that, that's, that's absurd. Let's take a look at this piece from Real Clear Politics, which talks about the politicizing of what's happening with COVID. They write, President Trump initiates a flurry of actions to address the historic virus challenge. Through legislation, executive orders, and travel bans, he embraces the role of a wartime president, marshalling all the capabilities of our great nation to counter and ultimately defeat this invisible enemy. Inevitably, in decision-making amid the fog of war, some missteps unfolded and some misstatements were made. But the big picture reveals an impressive mobilization of the public by government at every level, as well as the genius of, the, of America's private sector. The American public traditionally rallies to action-oriented leadership, and this is no exception. Last week, the Gallup poll reported a 60% approval rating for the president on his handling of the virus. In addition, Trump's overall approval rating hit the highest of his presidency per the Real Clear Politics polling average. In contrast to, the Trump, to Trump, the commander-in-chief, the dithering Democrats prefer to blather and use the critical moments of a national crisis to play politics. Biden's main super PAC, Unite the Country, has directed millions of dollars towards airing a TV commercial using demonstrably false smears against the president. The ad repeats the often cited falsehood that Trump called the coronavirus a hoax. As even the Trump antagonistic Washington Post concedes, Trump clearly referred to Democratic attacks upon him as a hoax. And PolitiFact, again, not a big fan of the president, concluded the same thing. 
and not the, uh, the malady itself. The Biden attack ad also claims that Trump eliminated the pandemic response team. This is another frequent Democratic Party talking point. But as Tim Morrison, an alumnus of that very NSC staff, explains, the Trump White House refashioned but did not dissolve its pandemic response office. These falsehoods are employed in the service of the Democratic election year narrative that the president let the virus spread unchecked across America. No mention is ever made by the loyal opposition that Trump took decisive early action by restricting travel from China or that Joe Biden himself assailed Trump for this move, accusing him of xenophobia. And then we get on April 3rd, Biden campaign says he backs Trump's China travel ban. The Associated Press, come on, they're the bastion of honest journalism in this country, the best standard we have, right? They said the Democratic candidates were lying about Trump dissolving the pandemic response team. That's the AP. Who am I supposed to trust? It must be so exhausting for the media and Democrats to be wrong all of the time. For Joe Biden to come out a month later and says, okay, okay, I confess the travel bans were actually a good idea. You're a month after Dr. Fauci, dude. Where were you? Were you even paying attention to what was going on? Donald Trump's approval rating is skyrocketing. I'm not making these things up. Perhaps I'm just ahead of the cycle, but I really doubt that all of the people in America are listening to me and I'm somehow influencing. The reality is I'm, I'm seeing what actually is. I'm not always right. I'm actually frequently wrong. But certainly right now, if the Democrats have finally come around to saying the travel ban was a good idea, then Trump was not incorrect. And the content I made in the past several weeks saying Trump is right about the travel ban are also not incorrect because everyone now agrees. What we're really seeing is that the Democrats, people like Schumer, Pelosi, Schiff, they're not paying attention to what's really happening. That's why when Donald Trump started the task force in January, they were busy impeaching him. It's why when Donald Trump initiated the travel ban, they criticized him for it. It's why on March 12th, they criticized him for it. And then what? Two or three months later, they're finally on board. That's amazing. And I'll give you a really good example. Take a look at this letter from President Donald J. Trump to Senator Charles E. Schumer. Now, this letter was also a incredible smackdown, or again, I like to say nuking from orbit of the Democrats, where Trump pointed out that Chuck Schumer was wrong and didn't know what he was talking about. Check this out. He says, Thank you for your Democrat public relations letter and incorrect sound bites, which are wrong in every way. As you are aware, Vice President Pence is in charge of the task force. By almost all accounts, he's done a spectacular job. Schumer said, why don't you invoke the Defense Production Act? Trump said, we did. The DPA has been consistently used by my team and me for the purchase of billions of dollars worth of equipment, medical supplies, ventilators, and other related items. It has been powerful leverage, so powerful that companies generally do whatever we are asking without even a formal notice. Chuck Schumer wanted a senior military officer involved or in charge. And Trump responded, a senior military officer is in charge of purchasing, distributing. His name is Rear Admiral John Palauchik. He's working 24 hours a day and is highly respected by everyone. Schumer apparently didn't know that these things had already been done. And Biden apparently fell into a similar position where Biden called on Trump to invoke these things. And Trump was like, we did. Are you guys even watching what's happening? Now, to be fair, the Democrats have an election year coming up. Well, Trump also has an election year. So if the Democrats, so I I can understand, right? right, To be fair, they're trying to balance campaigning and winning an election with criticizing the president. I guess there's nothing else they can really do. But but at at the same time, Trump is also in a re-election year. He's just doing his job. 
And if he does a good enough job, he'll get reelected. So I guess he's got that going for him, right? He's going to do what he needs to do to help the American people. And if the American people like it, he wins. And he is. His polls are way, way up. But of course, it wouldn't be an election. Well, it wouldn't be America if, the, if, if it wasn't, if the media wasn't coming out and just defending the Democrats in nonsensical ways. Check this out. From CNN, the 11 wildest lines from Donald Trump's utterly childish letter to Chuck Schumer. I'll admit, Trump is a little petty. It is. But he's responding to the pettiness. So I'll give him a little leeway. And while I'm not a fan of what I, what I view as kind of unprofessional behavior, I will absolutely admit it's hilarious. <laughs> it's funny, man. Trump, Trump smacking down the Democrats. There's, there's, there's something funny about it. You know, for me, I'm not so heavily invested in either of these tribes. I have no problem laughing when something happens. I just, I really don't care. Of course, CNN is going to come out and criticize Trump's letter saying it was wrong. Some of these criticisms make just absolutely no sense. But there is one very, very funny thing I want to point out. Donald Trump in his letter to Schumer insinuated that Democrats wanted to primary challenge him and get him booted. And CNN writes, number seven, no wonder AOC and others are thinking about running against you in the primary. If they did, they would likely win. To which CNN responds, there's very little evidence that Rep. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is planning a primary challenge to Schumer in 2022. In fact, the only person who is talking regularly about this is, wait for it, Donald Trump. CNN has just proven something quite hilarious. They prove they don't actually read the news and they have no idea what's going on. Allow me to show you an article from The Atlantic, January 18th, 2020, CNN. It took me like 30 seconds to find this. Does Chuck Schumer have an AOC problem? Amid talk of a primary challenge, the Senate Democratic leader cast a surprising vote against the USMCA trade deal, bucking most of his party. I covered this when it happened. CNN, where were you? Yes, pundits and politicos have speculated that AOC may mount a primary challenge against Schumer because she might lose her district. So maybe she'll go for the Senate. Chuck Schumer made a move that many people saw as quite progressive. And they thought the reason may be is because he's desperate to push back the progressives who would seek to primary challenge him. You see how it works with AOC and her strategy is not to win a real general election. It's to run in a place where she knows a Republican will never win, in which case the only thing she needs to do is primary challenge someone. Her district may get removed. She may not actually win because she's facing very serious primary challenges herself. And her base is not particularly New York City based. It's all over the country. So she needs to expand her footprint. Yes, she might actually vote uh, run against Chuck Schumer. Now, I'm not saying she will. I don't know. But you can clearly see that either CNN is lying or completely clueless. Now, think about what happens from this. Some Democrat operative or whatever will read CNN thinking it's real They'll see this and say, no one's even talking about it, and then believe it. And then they'll go on to carry the fake narrative that, that's just not true, and then keep espousing it, and everyone else will believe it. Meanwhile, The Atlantic, well, you know what I'll bet? The Atlantic wrote the story, right? Give it three months. They'll come around and say, we never did, never happened. It's like Politico. Politico writes the story saying that Ukraine meddled, and that there was you know, like some, some, you know, uh, some anger amongst Trump, Trump, and they were trying to scramble because Ukraine was meddling in the election. And then like a couple months later, Politico was like, it actually never happened. Are you going to erase or correct your own story? Yeah, apparently not. But Trump is getting flack from social media as well. And this is once again, this is the third, we got it. We got a hat trick. 
The nuke from orbits. I love, I love that meme, nuking something from orbit. It's kind of funny. So, so, so here's what we have so far. Donald Trump's smackdown of Joe Biden saying he wouldn't even understand it if he was watching it anyway, and he couldn't write it. You have the letter sent to Chuck Schumer. And now this is amazing. Trump campaign taunts Twitter with manipulated audio of Biden calling virus a hoax. Absolutely incredible. Check this out. President Trump's reelection campaign tweeted out manipulated audio to make it sound like former Vice President Joe Biden called the coronavirus a hoax in an effort to draw attention to what it views as Twitter's double standard in policing political speech. The new Trump campaign video is styled after an ad released by the Democratic Super PAC Priorities USA, which featured misleading audio of Trump describing the coronavirus as a hoax. The president's campaign has flagged multiple Democratic videos for Twitter in which he is heard calling the coronavirus a hoax, arguing that the content runs afoul of the social media giant's manipulated media guidelines. Twitter has declined to sanction the Democratic ads. So, so, so basically, Biden and the Democrats ran fake ads where they manipulated Trump and they did nothing. But when Trump's campaign put out a gag video where Biden gaffed and said, we can only reelect Trump, the full context of which he tried to correct, the media labeled that manipulated. But when Biden lies and he launched his campaign on a lie, Twitter does nothing. So this is the, the third and final nuking from orbit, where the Trump campaign straight up admits to manipulating audio of Joe Biden saying the virus is a hoax. Will Twitter take action? Well, Twitter, you put yourself between a rock and a hard place, huh? You can admit to your bias and point out it's fake, or you can let it go. And then people will think Joe Biden said it was a hoax. But of course, of course, the media will defend Joe Biden. Joe Biden's cognitive decline is apparent to basically everyone. But sure, activists and media will pretend like it's not true. I always want to clarify this. Not every single person in the media is in, is, is in, you know, in the bag for the Democrats, but they often tend to be, which is kind of funny. There are still some people who like to call out Joe Biden and Democrats. It's not also, it's not all bad. I bring you now to the Hill's opinion piece. Does Joe Biden really want to be president? Personally, I don't think he does. I think he's just chilling at his house in the glory days and he's just running for the sake of running. But more importantly, I think he's just the warm body they need to stop Bernie Sanders. That's the reality. If you look at what Bernie Sanders is doing, he's doing fundraisers for, for you know, people who are out of work for COVID, something, something, something to that effect. I'm not entirely sure what his plan is. He's putting out his plans. He's articulating his thoughts rather. Well, he, he's articulate, to say the least. His ideas not, may, might not be good or I might not agree with them, but certainly the guy is a much, much better candidate than Joe Biden is. But here we are. Joe Biden is the nominee. The media protects him. But then some are left wondering, does he even really want to be president? Which brings me back to the first thing that Donald Trump said. He didn't write the tweet. He's not watching the press briefings. And even if he was, he wouldn't understand it. It would seem like Donald Trump agrees with the thoughts of John Ayadarola. Ayadarola. That's the guy who wrote the article. Does Joe Biden really want to be president? Well, I don't know what his conclusion is, but I'll tell you what. I don't think so. Here's what he writes. Perhaps your knee jerk reaction to reading this headline is to scoff. How ridiculous after all. Hasn't Joe Biden been campaigning for president for more than a year now? And hasn't he run for president multiple times over the past few decades? It's a good question. To which he concludes. So when I ask if Joe Biden really even wants to be president, I ask it as a thought experiment for you to consider. But far more importantly, I'm asking it of Joe Biden. Is this what you really want? Is this something you'll really fight for? Because I know a candidate who will. Yeah, Joe Biden doesn't want to be president. And that's why Trump is right. 
He's probably not watching the press briefings. When you look at these videos of Joe Biden in his basement, what do you see? He's struggling to read a card. Someone wrote it for on a teleprompter for him, and he's really, really struggling. It's almost like he's just old and retired, and he's just being a wedge to stop Bernie Sanders. Is that it? I'll tell you what. As much as I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily advocate for Trump, you know, given the smackdown to the Democrats like he's been doing. I got to admit, there is some uh, catharsis. It is kind of funny because what are the Democrats doing? Pelosi Schiff investigations, Schumer requesting things already done, Biden tweeting about things and then being wrong and correcting himself a month later. Spare me, man. I'm just not interested in hearing it. Most of the country likes what Trump is doing. It's not perfect. There will be missteps. I'm not going to I'm not going to write a puff piece like Real Clear Politics did saying he's, you know, taking great effort like a wartime president. Oh, come on. He's doing his best. It's all we can really ask for. Can we all just get get through this? I'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out. The next segment will be coming up at youtube.com slash timcastnews at 6 p.m. It is a different channel, and I will see you there. There are growing fears in New York City as police and firefighters are calling in sick that law and order may be breaking down. There's been a rise in burglaries, and the virus daily death toll has doubled in the city to 757. I've said in the past that we were standing on the cliff's edge, but I think maybe we've fallen off at this point, or at least we're hanging on for dear life. The New York City, 8.62 million people, 38,000 police officers. That is not that many police officers relative to the total population. And as businesses board up, people become desperate. We're seeing a rise in burglaries, some of it probably out of desperation, some of it probably opportunistic. But there is just not nearly enough police to deal with the with all residents. Now, I, I don't know, you know what, what that would mean, but if, if a decent percentage of the population became desperate enough, then everything starts breaking down. And that's what that's what we're seeing. Bill de Blasio now wants to draft medical workers. He's saying we need 45,000 for the coming peak in April or so, April to May. But the problem I see with that is New York isn't the only hotspot. Certainly, there will be other places in the country that are, are going to need medical workers. Where do you get 45,000 medical workers? Is it even possible? And do you take these people by force and force them to do this? Things are getting scary. Let me give you some numbers for context. New York City in 2017, this is the best numbers I could find, had around 152 deaths per day. New York State in 2017 had around 425 deaths per day. As of yesterday, in New York City alone, 757, nearly doubling what the entire state would see on any given day in 2017. So yes, this virus is very, very real. I see a lot of, I don't, I don't want to necessarily call it conspiracy theories, but skeptics of the sort that say they think the city is just labeling any death coronavirus. If that were true, then death numbers would not exceed what we were seeing in 2017, 18 or 19 on average, right? If they were going to take any old person who died of any old thing and just say it was COVID, then we would see a peak of 152 to maybe 200 because it's been a couple of years, deaths per day. Actually, the birth rate is much lower than the, uh, than the death rate. So it would actually go down. But no, we're seeing the number substantially increase. So yeah, there are, there are more trucks coming. Now I'm going to give you all a warning. We're going to read about the potential breakdown of social, of social order in New York City. And I, I think, look, these businesses have been preparing for it. They've been boarding up their windows and doors. But there are going to be some shock. Uh, I don't want to say shocking, but there's some, some there's videos of the morgue truck. I'm, I'm sorry, there's photos of the morgue trucks and body bags. So you, you've been warned. 
I don't I don't know what YouTube allows me to talk about or whatever, but this is this is what's happening. And so we're going to we're going to show it before we do that. I want to show you just how bad it's getting everywhere. Donald Trump said it's going to be a rough week, a rough week. The second statement he's given in the past week or so, things are going to get bad. There will be death, he says. But so so we, we, we recognize this. Everybody's getting very serious. Take a look at this story. Three million masks ordered by Massachusetts were seized at Port of NY in March. New York seized masks that were going to Massachusetts. That's the United States of America. It's one thing if Trump orders 3M, the 3M Corporation, to bring the masks that are produced in China back to the U.S. and stop exporting them to other countries. It's one thing if they say if you make a mask in the U.S., it stays in the U.S. It's another thing if New York State commandeers shipments meant for another U.S. state. Think about it. These factories that produce this stuff, there's not a factory form, at least my understanding, in every single state. So what happens if the majority of these masks are produced in Wisconsin or something? I don't know what state they're made in. And then Wisconsin says, nope, the masks are all ours. Nobody can get them. The union breaks down. We've already seen people say the union is failing as checkpoints start emerging between states. Rhode Island sends out police and National Guard door to door to look for New Yorkers that they call refugees. The media is calling them refugees, mind you. They say refugees from New York are fleeing. It's a hot spot. The virus is, is ravaging the city and people are getting out. I'm fairly close. I'm a couple hours away. Okay. So, you know, I, 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 one thing I'll point out to my European friends, they always complain. Or I, I have many, my, my, many of my European friends complain when I tell distance in time. That's an American thing, I guess. We say how, how, how long it takes to get somewhere instead of the total distance, but it's about a two hour drive if that means anything, uh, means anything. I'm, I'm in South Jersey, basically the Philadelphia area. Right now where we're at is not a hot spot. There are, you know, uh, infections and deaths, but everything's happening up in the New York Metro. So you have people from the New York Metro fleeing and Rhode Island is not, is not happy about it. So there, there is, look, if people flee New York City, then maybe it doesn't, it's, it's not as big a deal if, uh, if NYPD are calling in sick. But I don't, I think for the most part, you're going to have a lot of poor people who can't leave New York City. Those poor people are going to need food. And as more and more businesses shut down and restaurants can't support, you know, they, they, if look, it's, it's just what takeout and delivery now. In fact, some shops are only doing delivery that, that might not be enough. I I'd imagine a lot of people are ordering a lot of delivery now, but if these food shops aren't going under, if bodegas, if they can't afford to pay anybody, if the rent can't get paid and these businesses shut down, there's no food. New York becomes a battleground. And if the police call in sick, I don't know what to tell you, man. We've already seen stories of nurses. They're viral videos where the nurses are saying, I can't do this. I have my family to protect. And then they quit. So if Bill de Blasio says we need more, but the economy is breaking down and we can't pay these nurses, what do we do? I honestly don't know. Because I'll tell you what, Trump wants to, op- Trump wants to launch a second task force that will deal with reopening the economy. I don't think it matters if he wants to do that or not. The virus doesn't care if you open or not. If we open up the economy based on the numbers we're seeing, we're going to see a lot more dead. And I don't know if we're going to have the capability to deal with all of the bodies because we're already struggling as it is. The economy shut down. Welcome to the rock and the hard place. I understand the point of view from everybody saying we need to you know, open things up. We need to keep things shut down. You can't do both. I don't know what to tell you, man. Let's read this story. The Daily Mail says, There are fears of a breakdown in law and order in New York as the city's key agencies feel the brunt of the coronavirus. The NYPD has reported that up to a sixth of its force or around 6,500 members called out sick towards the end of last week, and the numbers are not expected to improve over the coming days. Things are even worse at the FDNY. 
with the number of those having to stay at home because of the disease even higher. One in four members of its EMT paramedic team, about 4,000 people are currently having to stay off work. Among firefighters as a whole, around 17% are off on sick leave. What if a fire starts? What if someone starts a fire? It's not even about police. It's about empty streets, somebody being desperate or opportunistic, and there's no one around to stop the fire and it spreads. The combined number of FDNY firefighters and paramedics no longer able to work is around 3,000, according to NBC4. The huge shortfall in those working on the front line of the emergency services comes as the city is expected to enter its worst week so far, as the numbers of deaths are expected to continue to rise as the virus takes hold. I'm going to pause. I would not stay in New York City. I know that some people are going to say, you know, it's weird. I mean, I've had people saying, Tim, you've been very calm and very rational about this whole thing. And I've had other people say I was fear mongering. I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm just going to read the, um, this is a news story. All right. This is what, this is what is, is being published on the front page of the Daily Mail. If you care about the Daily Mail, many, many different outlets, including local NBC are saying these things are happening. Will there be a breakdown in law and order? I honestly have no idea. I don't know if it were me, I would not be in that city. I'll tell you what. And I'm already getting antsy enough being <laughs> in South Jersey. I don't know exactly what the right thing to do is. I have friends who have who've tried to get me to go to their more rural properties. A lot of my friends have been like, bro, we have rural, pro- you know, rural properties. We hang out. We got the dogs. We got food. You need to get out. And I'm like, maybe, maybe go somewhere more rural because social distancing is important. We wouldn't be around many other people. Reduce the chance because I'm, I'm in I'm in the suburbs. So maybe it makes sense to, for, for people to start dissipating. There's also the risk, you know, you, you bring the, the, the virus with you. Granted, none of, I, I've mentioned several times, we've all been essentially inadvertently home quarantined for a long time because we all basically work from home. We don't, we don't get out as often as we'd like to. I mean, granted, I have a skate park in my backyard, basically a skate park. So, you know, I work from home. Yeah, there's real concerns. Maybe we get out and we don't even live in New York City. We're, we're, we're relatively far away. I would not stay in New York City if I were you, though. And I, and, I, and I mean it again. You know, I've done several promos for emergency food and supplies. I hope you've all taken it seriously and done what you need to do. New York City is a very dense area. You're not going to be farming any, any, any food there. And certainly, even if right now people wanted to, you couldn't do it. I don't know how they're going to get in the resources they need to. If people become desperate and hungry, because who, who knows how many people actually prepared for this? Probably not very many. We've seen, I saw one poll that said, I think 65 or so percent of people said that they were preparing. It was mostly Democrats. The reason this is that, that you know, Democrat uh, line, uh, stat is important is that conservatives tend to have already stocked up and they tend to be in uh, rural areas. So that could be good news, meaning many people in dense urban areas have gotten supplies. But around 35 percent did not. And that's as a whole. So it's probably fair to say there are many people in New York City who did not get supplies, who are out of work, who can't pay their rent, who are going to be hungry and at some point are going to say, it's eat or die. I choose eat. And then what happens when they throw a rock through a window, they, t- they tear down boarded up windows. Who's going to be there? Will it be the police? I honestly don't know. How will they get supplies in amidst angry, raucous crowds of people desperate? And I mean, we've seen movies about this kind of stuff. We don't really know exactly what would happen. But the one thing that most people seem to think is that you get a big crowd of people desperate for food. They're going to knock down anybody in their way to get that food, especially if they have kids or loved ones. They say the huge shortfall in those working on the front lines uh, uh, comes to cities expected to enter the worst week so far. The number of deaths expected to rise. Here we say the city's cops say they are sacrificing their own health during the pandemic 
in order to protect New York's residents. And with every new arrest comes a risk of infection. At what point do the police simply say, I got to take care of myself, my friends and my family. I can't be out doing this. When the economy breaks down and you can't buy food, are the police going to be like, I'm out? Are we going to see something like what these communist and socialist countries have done, where instead of paying the officers, they say, we're going to guarantee you food. And then they have, you know, like armored trucks come in full of food. And then the incentive for the police officers is that you keep working, you get to eat. Everybody else, not so much. The absence of key emergency response workers comes at a crucial time for the city as the coronavirus has led to an all time high in the sheer number of 911 calls coming in with new records being set almost every day over the last week. To put in some perspective, a busy day would normally consist of around 4,000 calls. However, last Monday, the FDNY had to deal with more than 6,500. FDNY Deputy Commissioner for Public Information Frank Dwyer called the volume of calls received over a three day period the largest in our history. Wow. Residents are now being advised not to call 911 unless the symptoms they are experiencing are severe or not related to the COVID-19 disease. The grim outlook also applies to hospital to uh, hospitals too, uh, with facilities stretched to the limit on staffing bed and equipment. Look, we can see this uh, New York City Fire Department emergency medical technicians wearing protective gear. They're, they're carting someone out. Over at the NYPD, the virus has hit just as hard with one in six or about 18% either sick or quarantined. The presence of the disease has added a whole new level of stress and anxiety to the work of officers with every arrest or interview being the potential to be infected by the virus. It's stress. It's a stressful job at the best of times. The police commissioner, Dermot F. Shea, last uh, said last week. Right now, I don't think you can imagine a worse point in time. Officers are falling sick in areas that endured some of the highest crime rates, including the Bronx, Washington Heights and Harlem. Some precincts report up to a third of their members were unable to report for duty, according to the New York Times, and there are no guidelines that dictate exactly what should be done. Emergency protocols for those used after a terror attack or even after a hurricane are different to what is occurring now with the emergency lasting several weeks and sickening hundreds more each day. One thing that has made the work of city cops slightly easier is the absence of any events of large gatherings, which they would normally have to patrol. And so that's, that's, that's the threat, I suppose. What happens when people start getting angry? They've been pent up, they're locked in their cubicle-like apartments. Man, I've seen some of the videos of people in New York apartments. They are, they are, they're cubicles. These people are going to get cabin fever, and they're going to get hungry, and they want to go out, and they're being told they can't. People are still packing trains. They're still coming out in parks. I'm hearing from my friends in New York. They look out the window, and there's people doing their thing, not caring. This is not going to stop anytime soon. They say, Bill de Blasio says the peak is coming, but people are still out doing their thing. You think it's going to come anytime soon? Not if people aren't taking it seriously. And then what are the cops going to do when a ton of people come out desperate because it's gone on too long? The virus doesn't care about the economy. Perhaps, as many have said, the ta- you know, so, so Trump wants to do this task force. Maybe it'll work because there's a certain way we can get the economy kickstarted again while protecting lives. But I think then we're going to see, you know, maybe a flattening of the curve, but it's going to be worse than it is now. Wow. I, here we go. Rape, robbery, and assault crimes have dropped significantly compared to the days before the lockdown was implemented. That makes sense. Nobody wants to go outside. Nobody's on the street, and that's really helping us. According to data released by the NYPD for the last month, between March 16th and March 27, uh, 22nd, there was a 17% drop in major felonies, while grand larceny was down 31%. Misdemeanor assaults were down by 21% compared to the same time last year. Although many city streets remain quieter with all but essential businesses open, shops along some of the more wealthier streets, including parts of Fifth and Madison Avenues in Manhattan, 
and the trendy Soho neighborhood have boarded up their shop windows just in case there is civil unrest. The wealthy, you know, it's funny. I talked about a storm coming, hurricanes. They board up their windows because the wind will send things flying. They're scared of people. That's what they're worried about. They think there's a good chance people will come out. The rows of boarded up buildings are a stark reminder of the newly unemployed workers who lost their jobs after the scale of the outbreak forced stores, bars, restaurants to shut their doors for the foreseeable future. The NYPD is reporting a 75% increase in burglaries of commercial premises compared with the same time last year. I think it's fair to say the civil unrest is here. 75%. No wonder these businesses are boarding up. It's not so much about civil unrest. It's it's happening. The looting is already happening. This is nuts. You call it a burglary. I call it looting. The stores are all shut down because of a crisis. Someone comes in, breaks in and steals stuff. That's looting, dude. Wow, man. The increase has coincided with the dates when the city ordered bars and restaurants to close. We knew with the closing of many stores that we could see an increase. Unfortunately, we are. There's been an increase in the number of supermarkets and eateries being burgled. Here we go, man. Man, I told you, people are, are burglarizing supermarkets, burglarizing, breaking in and stealing stuff. In Sicily, the story that I read said that a ferry service that would bring food to the island shut down, went out of business. People are hungry. And so they went to these markets and just took what they wanted. The riot police had to be dispatched. Call it fear mongering. Call it whatever you want. I just call it realism. The number of police calling in sick is going up. The amount of people who die every day in New York is dramatically increasing. We're seeing trucks come in with, you know, carrying body bags, 75% increase in burglaries. If I were anywhere near, near New York City, I would get out. Now, it is fair to say, as, as I've talked with friends about rural areas, there is another risk there. I don't, there's, there's maybe a happy medium of being in a semi, you know, uh, suburban place or just out of, outside of the suburbs in a more rural area. There's less people around you. You, may, you might be able to protect yourself a little bit better. The likelihood that someone comes to your property is low, but in the event that something really bad does happen, at least there are some emergency service personnel in big cities that would be available. The way I see it is if the police are strained, burglaries, burglaries are up, they're calling in sick, and they're overwhelmed by COVID, they're not going to be able to help you anyway. You're going to have to fend for yourself, which is why we're seeing so many urban liberals run to their local gun stores, which I find it's kind of funny. Not funny, haha, but like, well, there you go. You know, point proven by many, you know, many conservatives are proven right. Liberals, they don't care. They know what's coming. The police can't protect them anymore. Maybe it does make sense to be in a more rural area. Maybe this is why many people who live in rural areas, many conservatives aren't as concerned because you've already relied on yourself for the most part. I wouldn't count on the NYPD right now. And I mean that in no disrespect to the, to the cops of the NYPD. I just, I'm just saying like, they got their hands tied enough as it is. They're not going to be able to answer all these, these 911 calls. Things could potentially get really, really bad. And I have to, I, I kind of think, I kind of think it will. Maybe I'm just pessimistic. Maybe this is the worst we'll see. There's, there's really no way for me to know other than the virus is, is hitting hard. The state itself is being hit hard. You know, there's some criticism to go towards de Blasio himself. He, he now wants to draft 45,000 medical workers, presumably from around the country. But he was the one encouraging people to go out, celebrate and have big gatherings. So I'll criticize him. But it doesn't change the fact that the city does need these healthcare workers. I don't know if it's going to be enough. It's the weirdest thing to me that I'm, I'm going I'm to wrap up with this because I'm really, really annoyed by people saying things like, 
Look, there, there, there were some text messages going around that were viral, you know, tricks. And then all of a sudden I heard another viral thing about my friend's grandma in Italy got cancer and they claimed it was COVID. I, I, I heard that so many times. I was like, how is it the same story? Maybe it was one guy who told 20 people and they all started saying the same thing. The one guy with a lot of friends. No, I keep hearing people saying like, they're just labeling any death COVID. Okay. That doesn't explain why deaths are up like six or seven times over the, the 2017 average. It doesn't explain why the statewide average is more than doubled where it was. Where are the bodies coming from? Like that if they're not dying of COVID, what are they dying from? I don't know, but that's scary if it's not COVID because people are just dropping dead. No, it's happening, man. The city's freaking out. The best thing you can do, not panic, chill, but think, plan ahead. I hope you've taken precautions and uh, we'll see how it plays out. I hope, I hope, I hope for the best. I hope, uh, I, I, I hope the NYPD officers the firefighters, the MTs who are sick, get better, get back to work. But part of me thinks that we're going to see many more police and firefighters start to call in sick because it's it's spreading. If de Blasio is saying the peak isn't going to be until another two, three weeks, isn't it fair to say then we can take, we can extrapolate the data from today to the NYPD in two or three weeks based on the the, the infection rate trends? If, if that was where the peak will be, eventually we might see that threshold cross where police officers are like, I'm not coming in because it's not worth the risk. Nurses are already doing it. Maybe they'll draft like the Blasio wants to do. We'll see how it plays out. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. Jim Acosta is not a journalist. I mean, technically, you could say there's a journalistic aspect to what he does, similar to what I do. But Jim Acosta is probably much more like a political commentator who just gets access to press events and then pretends to be a journalist. And CNN, they like it because the controversy generates ratings, but it's not real journalism. A little known secret, actually, it's not really a secret, I've talked about it, is that many journalists behind the scenes really do not like Jim Acosta. I know because I know many journalists. I know people who have covered this White House stuff, who have covered politics. I've talked to people who are working in D.C., and they basically say behind the scenes, people roll their eyes about Jim Acosta. He gets in the way. He's annoying to many people who just want to ask questions. But of course, it's not just Jim Acosta. Other journalists have begun doing similar things where they try and do gotcha questions. Well, now Jim Acosta is getting torn apart for another silly gotcha question. But what's going out with the press, there's a bigger story here. Donald Trump is going to war over a political speech on social media and how the media is handling, how like news networks are handling what he says. Everything he says is a lie. Joe Biden is ignored. It's basically the gist of it. Social media gives that free pass. But we're going to get started first talking about Mr. Jim Acosta. We got the story here from the Washington Examiner. Even the president of White House Correspondents Association thinks Jim Acosta is a bit much. A bit much, you say? Mm. (laughs) No, he's awful. He's just trying to sell a book, man. Let's, uh, let's read this and see what the criticism is, but we have another story here. Check this out. They say, when the president of the White House Correspondent Association is concerned that one of its members is acting like an opinion journalist, it is probably time for that journalist to dial it back a notch. ABC News' Jonathan Carl sounds slightly annoyed by Jim Acosta's constant theatrics, writing in his new book, Front Row, at the Trump Show, that the CNN White House Correspondent's soapbox approach to journalism only adds credibility to President Trump's anti-media criticisms. Acosta frequently behaves like an opinion journalist, Carl writes, 
adding that this plays right into the explicit Trump strategy of portraying the press as the opposition party. No, it's not a strategy. It's what Jim Acosta is. That's why Trump is critical of him. That's why I'm critical of him. And many others are. It's because you won't kick the guy out. You will defend him. Oh, yes. The the, the woman from One American News gets the boot because she asked an opinionated statement kind of question. Softball to Trump. Fine. Get rid of Jim Acosta. He's not a journalist. And that Peter Alexander guy. These are people just trying to do gotcha shock moments for tabloid style TV trash. So you want to know why how Trump gets away, gets away with, with calling you guys the opposition party? It's when you don't step up and say, Jim, stop. There you go. CNN's trash. They're going to prop up Jim because he brings the ratings in. And then Jim goes and sells a book. We get how the game is played. No, that, that, that's why Trump's approval rating has been going up. And that's why the media is shutting down Trump's press events, because people are starting to see just how awful their staff really are and how it's your industry, your institutions that refuse to do anything about it. But it's not just this one guy. They say, uh, well, I'll, I'll read a little bit more. They say this. The ABC reporter added in separate remarks to the Washington Free Beacon that a number of reporters have responded to the challenges of covering the Trump administration by editorializing rather than focusing on the difficult and mostly unglamorous work of reporting stories. A sub theme of the book is those of us reporters make a mistake if they appear to be if they appear to be too much like an opposition to the president or the resistance. Carl, the current president of the White House, uh, said that's not our job. We're the op- we're not the opposition party. We're supposed to report and report aggressively on the president, but not go over the top. A good example of this sort of over the top behavior, Carl writes in his book, is when Acosta insisted on having former White House press secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders answer whether members of the press are indeed the enemy of the people. Acosta suggested later on CNN that fellow journalists should gather outside the White House and chant, we are not the enemy of the people. Carl calls it a soapbox moment. The dude is just trying to be on TV. And guess what? You know what? You know what, man? Carl, I don't care. Uh, cry me a river. I'll tell you what. Why don't you write us? Uh, I'm, gl- I'm glad you wrote this, wrote, wrote about this. Why don't you take his press credentials? Why don't you tell him to get out? You want, why don't you all vote and say Jim Acosta is wasting everyone's time? Check this story out. Now we have the latest story. This is from Town Hall. Jim Acosta still embarrassing CNN at White House press, brief, press briefings. CNN is going after the resistance. They don't care. All the people who they're attracting, they're trying to get are the people who just hate Trump no matter what he does. And they like Acosta's symbolic emotional victories of saying stupid things to people. Are the press really the enemy of the people? We should protest. Is, what? Journalists shouldn't be doing this. Sit there and write down what was said, ask questions to get clarification, and then move on. Town Hall writes, fake news CNN reporter Jim Acosta continues to be a blight at the White House press briefings. And even the, the dude who runs the, the, the top guy at the White House Correspondent Association won't do anything about it, but agrees, huh? In a crowd full of bad reporters asking irrelevant gotcha questions at a time when our nation needs important information more than ever, Acosta stands out as the most disruptive figure at the briefings. He's always been annoying. But as Americans are dying in a global pandemic, Acosta is playing politics and interrupting experts in an attempt to score political points against the president. On Friday, Acosta interrupted Dr. Deborah Burks as she tried to explain the current focus of the administration's efforts is to tackle the coronavirus. Dr. Burks said there will be an appropriate time later to analyze the actions of the global community and its response to the coronavirus pandemic. Acosta interrupted the doctor, demanding to know why the president said the virus would go away, and it hasn't yet. Here's my answer. Well, it, it does, in fact, turn out 
that the president is not psychic, um, much to the dismay of the public and shock, I would add, because everyone assumed he was. It's also possible that Trump said it would go away one day just like that. And maybe we're just not there yet. Calm down, buddy. Have a seat. It's basically the same question Acosta keeps asking at every briefing. People are getting sick of it. Jonathan Turley, the constitutional law professor who testified before the House impeachment inquiry, said Acosta's behavior is destroying the media's credibility and CNN really can't afford to lose any more of that. But the media won't stand up to any of these people. It's the funny thing. I worked for these companies. I know how the game is played. And I, and I stood up and I walked. I said, I don't, want to be in, I don't want to be involved in this. But they don't care about you. They don't care about journalism. It was always about running a business, always. And the media industry has always been decently lucrative. Although it's been getting bad in the past couple of, the past decade or two, you know, the, the revenues are slowing down, ad revenues going other places. It was always just business. And the news was a marketing tactic. So yellow journalism has existed forever. They're not here to tell you the truth, to give you the facts. They're going to prop up narratives to make money. Here's the tweet from Jonathan Turley. Jim Acosta's interruption of Dr. Burks is an example of how CNN's echo journalism model is destroying the media's credibility. Every question from Acosta is an effort to score points rather than elicit information. It is a press pandemic that continues to rage without relief. And they say Presser Turley is far, far from alone. Now, of course, it's going to be conservatives calling out Jim Acosta. And this is why you'll end up seeing people like, I don't know, Joe Rogan, me, Dave Rubin, the politically homeless, disaffected liberals, whatever you want to call it. I'm not here to play your stupid games. You annoy me, Jim Acosta. You don't ask questions. You waste everyone's time. And then these other outlets that shut off Trump's press events. We know you don't actually care about what's really going on, what the president has to say. So why would I consider you a journalist if you're going to if you're going to editorialize everything, every question and waste our time? So regular people, not politically, you know, I'm not, you know, people who are not hyper partisan themselves, who just want to know what's going on, want to pay attention, live their lives. They turn on CNN and they see a clown yelling at the president. And sure, they can call the president a clown too. I don't care. There's two clowns then, two clowns yelling at each other. You know what? At least for now, Trump is talking about what's going on. But more importantly, he's got, he's got the, the task force around him. So when Dr. Burks is asking a question, you want to criticize Trump? By all means, please criticize the president. I'm not going to stand here. I don't care. You can say whatever you want about anybody. Jim Acosta, though, throwing these stupid gotcha questions at Dr. Burks. What are you doing? Dr. Burks is just a medical expert. He's here to tell us what's going on. Why are you wasting our time? Tell us what's happening. Tell us what we should be doing and tell us what we should expect. Stop complaining about something that happened months ago. Dr. Burks is right. She said there's a time for this. Not now. That's why Jim Acosta is a clown. He's a clown throwing clown questions at people. We see a few people, Ariel Davidson, Acosta asking why this pandemic wasn't predicted is probably the most foolish gotcha question I've ever seen. The situation is extraordinary, and these questions are massively unhelpful, my lord. Here we go. Arthur Schwartz says, it's ridiculous that his colleagues at CNN and the profession don't speak up. They're complicit. The, oh, they don't like it. I, I know many of them don't like it. And I've, and, I've, and I've seen quotes, and I've heard the conversations, and I've heard from friends. They really don't like it. But they're all such whiny little babies and they won't do anything about it. Why? Because Jim Acosta is CNN and nobody wants to rock the boat. So they'll just sit back and say, I'm not going to do anything. This is what I can't stand about most people. Stand up, call it out, 
Stop being such a whiny little loser sitting there in the press room saying like, I'm mad that Jim Acosta is doing this, but I won't call him out. Yeah, he's going to keep doing it until you call him out. So why don't you grow a pair? Say, Jim, sit the F down. Nobody wants to hear your stupid BS. Almost get me swearing on this one. So let's, let's, let's move on from here, though, because Jim Acosta, what he does is part of a bigger problem we have in the entire media landscape. Check this out. Trump team picks fight with Twitter TV networks over political speech. President is from the Hill. President's, uh, President Trump's reelection campaign is aggressively pressuring Twitter and broadcast outlets to sanction or poll misleading political attacks from Democrats, accusing the social media giant and the new media of using a double standard when it comes to policing political speech. The Trump campaign has long been the subject of intense scrutiny from fact checkers and reporters who have called out its false or misleading claims and sought to have the content removed from the airwaves or social media platforms. It's all opinion. It's all analysis. It's all and it's always opinion. It's really hard to, to, to get someone to just admit to facts, right? Framing is always an issue. There's, 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 you, there's ways you can tell the truth to actually mislead people. And I've gone, I've gone over these things in great detail. I, I won't go through it now, but I will show you what Trump is really talking about and why Trump is correct. Joe Biden. Here's from Political Fact. PolitiFact. Video shows President Donald Trump saying COVID-19 is, a, is Democrats' new hoax. False. Ding, 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 right there. False. Joe Biden, all the way in the red. Joe Biden launched his campaign on a lie, on a hoax, the very fine people hoax. And now we have PolitiFact calling him out for another hoax. And guess what? Will Twitter do anything about it? Nope. What about Trump? When Trump does basically the same thing? Yep. This is the problem I have, okay? There was a viral video that went around where Joe Biden says we can only reelect Trump. And it fades to black and everyone's like, ha ha, Joe Biden gaffed. What really happened is that Joe Biden said we can only reelect Trump if in fact we engage in this circular firing squad. We've got to have a positive campaign. The sentence was snipped. Some people said it wasn't manipulated video. He actually said it. Well, he did, but give the full context. It's important. I'm not here to play games with anybody. I don't care if you're left or right. I'll call that out. Joe, so, so, so Twitter says it's manipulated media. And I say, oh, come on, Twitter. Because everybody does this all the time. Joe Biden did it. You did nothing about it. So they come after Trump. So I'll, I'll call out the right for putting this out saying, here's the clarification. This is wrong. It's out of context. But why, why, why are they not going to go after Joe Biden? So my, my beef is not so much with, you know, like, of, of course, I'm concerned when, you know, political ads are misleading or whatever. But here's the real problem. Joe Biden gets away with this. His campaign lies and gets away with it. Political PolitiFact calls it out. I'm seeing this stuff pop up on my Facebook page. I'm, 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 I'm uh, on my profile. I see all these people talking about it, saying, can you believe that the president called the virus a hoax from the start? And now people are losing their lives. He's he's responsible. The president didn't. In fact, while the Democrats were impeaching him, he launched the, the, the task force and banned travel. Was it enough? No, it wasn't. Hindsight is 2020. I'm sure we all would love to look back and say someone could have done better. Fine. But the Democrats didn't do anything. So if your criticism is that Trump is doing a bad job, that's fine. I accept that's your opinion. Good. It means the Democrats did worse. So Joe Biden comes out and he plays this video. Here's what PolitiFact says. The video makes it look like Trump called coronavirus their new hoax. In fact, there was nearly a full minute between when the president said coronavirus and hoax during a February 28th rally in North Charleston, South Carolina. In a video tweeted March 3rd, Joe Biden's campaign made it look like President Trump called the coronavirus outbreak a hoax. The video cycles through a slew of sound bites from Trump in one clip shows the president rally. And then it says coronavirus. Skip. This is their new hoax, Trump is pictured saying. 
The video makes it seem like Trump is calling the disease itself a hoax, which he hasn't done. The words are Trump's, but the editing is Biden's. Well, good on you, PolitiFact, for finally calling out the fake news. But did Twitter take action? As far as I could tell, they did not. They refused to do anything. This is no violation here. Incredible. What the Trump supporters were doing with Biden's quote, where he says we can only reelect Trump, was cutting off context. You can argue that's bad. I think it's bad. But you know what's worse? Taking a sentence, splicing words and smashing them together to change what was said. That's not that's not we're not talking about context. We're talking about manipulating media. And Twitter didn't care about that. Yeah, that's the game being played. This is why probably people won't do anything about Jim Acosta. So here's what they say over at the Hill. In recent weeks, the Trump campaign has threatened legal action against TV stations for airing an ad cut by the Democratic Super PAC that makes it seem as if Trump called the coronavirus a hoax, just like Joe Biden did. It has also been sending scores of emails to Twitter to flag videos being produced and shared by Democrats to make the case the content runs afoul of the company's policy on manipulated media. And this week, the Trump campaign took the unusual step of producing a deliberately misleading clip of former Vice President Joe Biden calling the coronavirus a hoax with the sole purpose of testing Twitter to see if it would enforce its rules equally on the Trump and Biden campaigns. A very, very clever idea. And I'm willing to bet they don't care and they'll go after the Trump campaign. Everything indicates the Democrat donors who run Silicon Valley are intent on stacking the deck against President Trump's reelection, said Matt Wolking, a Trump campaign spokesman. Their lack of transparency is further evidence that this is politically motivated interference in the 2020 election. Political speech and debate should not be policed and silenced by faceless unknown actors and social justice warriors manipulating algorithms behind closed doors, he added. Since Trump was elected president, there has been an explosion of media fact checking, leading to enormous pressure on platforms to sanction or pull content that is determined to be misleading. The president and his campaign have been accused of spreading misinformation through campaign ads countless times. Broadcast and cable news outlets have refused to run some Trump campaign ads. Twitter has used its new manipulated media policy to warn viewers that a Trump campaign video about Biden was taken out of context. There is pressure on the cable news outlets to stop running Trump's daily White House press briefings about the coronavirus because of concerns about instances of misinformation. Should we shut off CNN and MSNBC? If you're really arguing that Trump is saying misinformation, so we should shut him down, then how soon until you shut down Rachel Maddow's show? Because for three years, she spewed misinformation. And don't get me wrong. Some people will say, no, 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 come on. We all thought there was something to the Russia thing. You know, hey, we were investigating. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about the stuff where she says that Russia might shut off the electricity to Fargo in the middle of winter. I'm talking about that kind of fringe conspiracy nonsense, which bred a whole bunch of lunatics on Twitter screeching about Russia coming to shut their power off. You want to argue that Trump, the Russia collusion investigation, all that stuff? I get it. There was an investigation underway. That's not what she was doing. She was spewing conspiracy garbage misinformation. You're going to go and get her removed? Oh, I didn't think so. Yeah, it's biased. These competing efforts underscore the degree to which the campaigns will be battling over misinformation and what factual, uh, what's factual ahead of the 2020 general election. Democrats in particular are, high, are, are on high alert following the 2016 election when Russian agents flooded social media with fake and divisive content aimed at damaging Hillary Clinton's campaign. Yeah, it was very few, actually. And the authorities said they didn't think it had much of an impact at all. It's one thing to define a standard you want to keep. But once you get into the business of applying it, things can get pretty squishy. 
said Toby Berkowitz, a former political ad buyer and media consultant who now teaches at Boston University. The inciting incident for the Trump campaign was a mocking video it released of Biden that showed the former vice president saying we can only reelect Donald Trump. In his speech, Biden quickly doubled back to make it clear he was warning the Democrats would he was warning that Democrats would get Trump reelected if they were divided and attacking one another. The Trump campaign maintains that no one thinks Biden was endorsing Trump. They say the video is merely ribbing a political rival. Twitter, however, determined the remarks were deliberately taken out of context. The company cracked down, making it the first and so far only content it has sanctioned under its new manipulated media policy. Since then, the Trump campaign has been flooding Twitter with emails flagging Democratic content it says has been similarly taken out of context. Most notably, several Democratic groups have released ads featuring audio of Trump calling the coronavirus a hoax. Together, the ads have been shared and viewed on Twitter millions of times. And PolitiFact called it out and Twitter says we don't care. How are you going to come and say there's no bias against conservatives? Are you nuts? Rather, Trump was describing Democratic efforts to politicize his response as a hoax. The Trump campaign has threatened legal action against TV stations, broadcasting and ad, uh, uh, broadcasting an ad from Priorities USA, the largest Democratic super PAC, in which Trump can be heard calling the coronavirus a hoax. But Twitter has declined to sanction the ad and TV stations are continuing to run it. So I think we get it, man. I don't know if Trump's going to win, but I get it. Media experts are bracing for a 2020 campaign that is dominated by these types of struggles over information and context. It's really complicated, said Berkowitz. Should there be a particular standard? Is it applied to everyone in the same way? Sometimes there are such egregious uses of content that pretty much everyone agrees on it. But it's pretty clear that in this partisan era, most of the, most of the time views are going to be split. Yeah, I'll tell you what Twitter is going to do. Twitter is going to be biased like Twitter always has been. The media companies will then start writing that Trump is lying and he did call it a hoax. Or they'll say something like, did Trump really refer to the coronavirus as a, uh, as a hoax? mixture. They'll say it's mostly true. And they'll say something like, they'll start twisting it and saying, while Trump didn't directly call the virus a hoax, the statements he made led many people to believe that the virus wasn't that serious and therefore blah, 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 blah. No matter what Trump says, it will be false. No matter what Biden says, they won't care. They're running Biden. I kid you not, the Atlantic wrote an article or published an article, stay alive, Joe Biden. They don't think he's worth anything. They just want a warm body to stand next to Trump because they think that's good enough. Y'all are nuts. It's not. I'll leave it there. Next segment will be coming up at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast. That is a different channel. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you then. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a racist, at least in my opinion. And the reason I say that is I'm not trying to say that she disparages or doesn't like minorities, but that she equates certain characteristics that or things that people experience, it's based on race instead of the more obvious and fact-based things, right? So the way I see it is, if someone's going to come out and say, the reason you do this and the reason you experience this is because of your race, I'm going to say, I think that's particularly racist, making assumptions about the inherent qualities of one's race. Ocasio-Cortez wants coronavirus reparations for minority communities. And the reason she does, because they're being harder hit. She's ignoring the fact that it has more to do with poverty and less to do with race. And this is one of the biggest problems I have with these social justice woke types is that they'll ignore the white homeless man begging for change and they'll go to the multimillionaire black celebrity because of her race. Now, AOC isn't necessarily doing that here. She is targeting a poor community and it just so happens that they are minorities, but she's calling for reparations. We know what that implies. Well, let's read the story, make sure we get the context correct. 
The New York Post says, Rep. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has called for coronavirus reparations for minorities, claiming higher numbers of COVID-19 fatalities in low-income communities stems from underlying equality, saying, quote, COVID deaths are disproportionately spiking in black and brown communities, Ocasio-Cortez tweeted to her 6 million followers on Friday morning. Why? Because the chronic toll of redlining, environmental racism, wealth gap, etc., are underlying health conditions. Inequality is a comorbidity. COVID relief should be drafted with a lens of reparation. See, the problem I have is if you are poor, you will likely live in the same conditions. And as someone who is, you know, who grew up in a mixed race community in the South Side of Chicago that was relatively poor, there were people of all different races negatively impacted by, you know, by poverty. If she was serious about actually wanting to help people, she would recognize it's not about the race of the people, but the wealth and the class of the place she lives in, because I assure you there are white people who live in these areas as well. With her district ravaged by the coronavirus, AOC came under fire Friday for participating in a virtual forum with constituents from the comforts of her plush abode in D.C. Now, I'll give some pushback here. Her claim was that she was there for a vote and she flew back right away. But of course, the bigger issue I take is, you know, politicians often don't understand the plight of, of, of the regular, regular people, because even if AOC was just there for a vote, she does have a luxury D.C. apartment for when she's in you know, D.C. Not every congressperson has that. There have been stories about people in Congress who sleep in their offices because they can't afford both their home in their district and an apartment in D.C. D.C. is very expensive. AOC, well, she's able to have that luxury apartment. So to even do it, it's, it shows that there is a certain something that happens that puts these people out of touch with everyone else. And we can see it based on what she's asking for. AOC, I'm sure there are people in your district who are white. I mean, the majority, I'm pretty sure the, the, the largest percentage of people in New York are white people. Certainly they live in the Bronx and Harlem and, and Queens, the, play, the, the, the areas that you represent. But to come out and, and specifically make it about race says to me that you're racist because you're not focusing on the, on the poverty and the plight of the people. You're focused on one race of people based on assumptions you made about them. Congress expanded unemployment benefits and it's $2 trillion coronavirus aid package, but there was no discussion of reparations for poorer communities. Now, 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 hold on, New York Post. She's talking about black and brown communities. I agree with poor communities. I agree. Like in, in New York, for instance, it makes sense. If you have a very, very wealthy part of the city to take a tiny fraction of the, of the revenues, the tax revenue, the property taxes, and allocate it to poor areas to fix them because a rising tide raises uh, all ships. You know, if people in the Upper West Side of Manhattan are paying millions of dollars in property tax, you can take a tiny fraction of that over to Crown Heights, start fixing up some buildings, and then everybody benefits because, you know, crime and poverty and everything will go down. The Association of American Medical Colleges last month warned the outbreak would be particularly brutal for marginalized communities who can't afford to miss work and have no way to avoid credit conditions. I'm going to have to push back on all this to to a certain degree. While I certainly recognize, yes, this is true. Many people who don't understand, don't have access to information, might not care, might be too poor. Well, they're going to be very susceptible to the virus. But I'd like to make one point. First, as I stated, it's all about culture, not about race. Okay. well, I I shouldn't say it's all about culture. It's class and culture and and race to a certain degree. These are all factors to come out and just pretend like it's all about race is what racists do which is why I'm showing this story to push back on the racists. Take a look at this. 
Crowds of 450 gather in Oakland for illegal sideshows during coronavirus pandemic. They say, despite the need to social distance and a statewide shelter in place, Oakland police said that about 450 people gathered over the weekend to watch drivers perform dangerous and illegal stunts. Not only that, but the crowds on Sunday were big and the spectators were not practicing social distancing. One sideshow drew dozens of observers near 55th Avenue and Foothill Boulevard, while another happened at 38th Avenue and International Boulevard, according to social media posts and videos. Videos posted by Oakland sideshow muscle cars showed people, mostly young men, defying the stay at home order and instead crowding intersections and cheering the sideshows. Would you argue that, well, actually, and I'll, I'll put it this way. The racists argue that they're doing this for, you know, because of some kind of racial thing. No, it's a cultural thing. These people particularly are part of a subculture. It's not even reflective of black and brown cultures. It's literally a subculture. They're defying the order. They're going out. They're going to get sick. So when their community is disproportionately affected, it is not because of their race. It's because of choices they made, things they're entertained by. And, and look, I got to say, man, some of these people are in muscle cars. Those things ain't cheap. It's not even necessarily about class. It's about the decisions people make. So if you want to talk about what's causing the outbreak in certain communities, while I'm sure you are correct to a certain degree, redlining plays an issue and, you know, racial, uh, racist, you know, uh, covenants and laws and things of the past play, play a role. It's absurd. And well, I, I just think it is it's racist to come out and say we got to give them special money because they're being hit hard by this. Are you going to give these people extra money that they decided to go out and look at cars doing donuts in the middle of the street? They didn't have to do that. Right. That's nothing to do with poverty. Are you going to imply that these people are not as smart? No, they're choosing. They know what they're doing and they're doing it anyway. So when this community is hard hit. Look at this. They say Oakland police arrested three people, cited 14 others and towed 12 cars. Man, that's crazy. Look at these photos. People are all hanging around. This is a black and brown community. They're, 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 they're going for it. That's their choice. Back over at the New York Post, they say, a New York City Department of Health map released Wednesday shows the virus is hitting lower income neighborhoods harder with more cases in places such as Brownsville, South Bronx, Flatbush, Jackson Heights, and Elmer. So listen, the New York Post is accurately pointing out people who are in poverty are being hit by this. Guess what? The stimulus bill, that's what it does. People who make over a certain amount of money aren't going to be getting relief. That kind of makes sense, even though it's kind of unfair. It is. I'll put it this way. If somebody is super wealthy, they don't need to get a relief, a relief package, right? Now, if somebody works double shifts, let's say in 2018, you worked two jobs because you wanted to save up money to prepare for a storm. Let's say you saved all that money for, for a pandemic. You're not going to get that relief check. But some people who chose to lay around reading books and stare at the sun and have a good old day and not work that much are going to get relief checks. In that regard, it is unfair in the, in, in the sense that some people work 40 hours a week but are wealthy. They don't need it. You see, they're, they're, it's, it's not all identical. The point is, if you want to talk about what is fair and what makes sense, rich people not getting relief checks. Yeah, makes sense. They're not going to need it. It's the poor who need it. The New York Post accurately points out low income neighborhoods. So why did AOC have to come out and say it's about black and brown people? She's just racializing this for no reason. I'm all about social justice in the correct context, like when you actually care about protecting civil rights and talking about ways you can better help raise, you know, a rising tide will we'll lift all ships, as I was saying earlier. I'm totally in favor of it. 
But people like AOC and the, and the woke intersectional authoritarians would falsely or would misconstrue what's actually happening. So when she calls for reparations, what ends up happening is the bill that will get passed will say, okay, people of this descent will get checks. What about the people who live in your district who are Asian, who are white, who would get nothing, even though they are suffering as well? This is why racism is stupid. And it's why you can't work this way. We have people of all different races. We have some wealthy people who are white and poor people who are white. There are wealthy black people and poor black people. And yes, I think racism played a serious role in the history of our country. I know firsthand because of my family's history. But if we want to solve these problems, you don't do it by pointing to people, pointing out their color and then offering them money. That just brews resentment and it leaves people behind for arbitrary reasons. AOC is wrong. The 30-year-old self-described democratic socialist has been critical of the government's response to the coronavirus pandemic, lashing out at Governor Andrew Cuomo for not temporarily suspending rent payments like he did for mortgage holders. We're kind of creating a class and race issue. No, stop with the race thing, man. Stop trying to racialize it all the time. I get it. There are issues that are about race. Those need to be addressed. This is not one of them. This is an issue of everyone in this country suffering and low-income people suffering more. So you want to help people? Help the poor. Guess what? If that works, then everyone will be better off for it. And you don't got to worry about the race of the person. I say it a lot, though. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up in a few minutes, and I'll see you all shortly. I've got good news for all you sane, regular human beings. Louis C.K. has put out a new comedy special for those who need to laugh amid the pandemic and the quarantine. We're all locked in our houses, so it'll be fun to watch a comedian say silly things. Of course, the feminists are very angry, saying that, you know, he's exploiting the pandemic for a special and he should go away and all this stuff. And it's just like, you know, man, Louis C.K.'s story. Yeah, he did inappropriate things. I don't know. What I can tell you is the dude started doing events and he was like selling out. People like the guy. He's funny. He's always been crude. He's always been crass. But ever since those stories came out about his inappropriate behavior, we've seen people try to highlight things. He said as though he's problematic or whatever, whatever. That's what they do. They call him problematic. First, let's actually just read about what's going on with this uh, Louis C.K. special. Deadline says he dropped a surprise comedy special for those who need to laugh. The surprise of his fans and attractors, he dropped a new comedy special Saturday on his official website. The comedian said he released a stand-up special titled Sincerely C.K. for those who need to laugh. It's available for download and stream for $7.99. In a press announcement, the Louis star and creator indirectly referenced the coronavirus outbreak and said laughter helps when things get bad or when people are facing difficult times. I feel like there are two kinds of people in this world, he said. One kind needs to laugh when things are getting essy. In fact, he said, the worse things get, the more serious, the, the more dark and the more terrifying, the more dangerous and dire anything is, the more important it is to laugh in the midst of it and directly in its face. He continued, these people believe it's no coincidence that human beings have survived despite our fragile, hairless bodies through the most difficult of times, and that we are the only species besides ladybugs who laugh at life. The controversial comedian has essentially been out of the spotlight since 2017 when misconduct allegations against him began to service. Well, here we go. From the Mary Sue, angry feminists yell, yell at Louis C.K. And look how they title this. Louis C.K. whips out a new comedy special nobody wants to see. Nobody. The dude was doing shows and people were showing up. They were even leaking his sets. People want to see this. I'm willing to bet he makes a pretty penny because, yeah, people are bored. Then they're going to want to watch Louis C.K. because there was a reason why he was a famous comedian. He's funny. 
The comedian has continued touring since he publicly admitted to sexual misconduct. The Mary Sue says, here's something we don't want to see. Louis C.K. has released a brand new comedy special titled Sincerely Louis C.K. available for purchase on his website. Thanks for advertising it to everybody who apparently doesn't want to see it. This is what I don't get. You know, they really do want to see it. You know what they want to do? They want to watch it and they want fuel to go so they can go on the internet and complain about how how much they're victims. They want to say that Louis C.K. did a comedy special and made a naughty joke and that's violence and now I'm physically in pain. They love it. It's fuel for the fire. Why wouldn't they be happy? That's why they're telling you where you can find it instead of just criticizing it. uh, They go on to say, CK released a statement, which, which we read. He followed, these people believe, yeah, we read that. CK admitted to sexual misconduct in 2017 after years of rumors. CK's behavior was an open secret among women in comedy and the entertainment business. But like many predators, predators, you know, the story about him, it absolutely was inappropriate. There were some really creepy things he was doing, like he'd be on the phone with a woman. And this is what I read, because I could be wrong. He'd be on the phone with a woman, and then she'd hear him like panting and huffing because he was doing some uh, personal business that he should not have been doing. But there were other stories where he asked permission. So a lot of these things were taken over the top and were just kind of, I don't know, kink shaming, I guess. But the dude definitely did inappropriate things. Whether or not that means his life should be completely destroyed and he should never work again, I don't know. It's not up to me to decide. If the dude puts out a product and people buy it, then the dude is going to be able to sell stuff. What do you want? What do you, what do you expect? She said, uh, they're going to write. His be, uh, after years of rumors, his behavior was an open secret among women in comedy and the entertainment business. But like many predators, he was protected by his power and influence until the Me Too movement exposed him. Sure. It also exposed people like Aziz Ansari, who had a bad date. Or that guy from, there was another guy on, uh, what was he on A&E or something? He did a talk show. Was it Soup or something? I don't remember. Uh, Chris Hardwick, was that who it was? I'm forgetting. But a bunch of people, innocent people got accused, lost their jobs, were investigated and found to be innocent and came back. There was also that list that went around of like the awful people in media. It was the, it was the you know, they swear in the title. I can't swear on YouTube because YouTube will, you know, derank you. They don't like swear words. Anyway. There was that list that went around and a bunch of innocent people got smeared and accused in the Me Too movement. So while I can respect, you know, horrible people like, you know, Harvey Weinstein get gets, you know, put in jail. Yeah, there were innocent people. And Louis C.K. was not the worst, but there were certainly more innocent people. They write, while C.K. lost money when the truth came out, FX canceled his television deal and his film, I Love You, Daddy, was shelved. The comedian issued an apology and promised to take a step back and take a long time to listen. Less than a year later, however, CK was back to touring, but his comedy had changed. No, it didn't. That's a lie. After a career built, uh, after a career built making fun of himself and his foibles, CK's long celebrated honesty was spun outward. He's always been shocking and defensive. Always. People are trying to claim that he changed. Well, I mean, for one, he started making jokes about his circumstances, but that's normal. That's what he's, that's what people do and what else he's supposed to do. But his shot comedy was always what it, what it is. They go on to say, instead of addressing his issues or his fall from grace, the comedian began mocking the survivors of the Parkland school shooting. CK also mocked trans and non-binary people, earning him new fans from the far right. That is a lie. Seriously, go look at his comedy. It was always offensive. They, uh, so he, he also forbade cell phones at his shows so no, none of his new material would leak. Tons of comedians do this. What they've done so far is they've taken, they're they're misrepresenting who he is and what he's done. I'm not surprised. 
Louis C.K. is a name that frequently comes up when we discuss cancel culture. While the comedian lost money and was publicly shamed for his gross behavior, C.K. has hardly been canceled. He is, he is, oh, come on, dude. He lost a movie in a TV show. He is touring internationally and releasing comedy specials. He is still a very wealthy comedian and a household name. Yep. Because guess what? You lost. People like him. They find him funny. You're lying. Fans, uh, fans argue that he served his time, but CK has done nothing to earn the redemption he expects. Aside from his public apology after years of denial, there have been no attempts to learn, no donations to women's rights groups, and no recognition or processing of his behavior. Aw, poor babies. Did he have to give you money and he didn't? That's called grifting. You're a grifter. He doesn't give anybody money, but he certainly lost money. That's good enough. They say, uh, for some, for someone who, uh, who was known for bearing their soul on stage, CK has refused to address his misconduct in his act. That's not true at all. He's made jokes about it. You know, the only thing they can really do is lie. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to like Louis CK. I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm not saying he deserves anything. But tell the truth and be honest. The reality is, no matter what you throw at him, no matter what you expect of him, there are people who like him and find him funny and just don't care what you have to say. So we launched the comedy special on his own website. If you want to watch it, you'll watch it. It's eight bucks. Guess what? I bet I'll make a ton of money off this. His fans don't care what you think. And they think, yeah, maybe he served his time. Many took to Twitter to respond to CK's new special. And here we go with the lefty blue checks who are going to be angry at a comedian for making offensive comedy. Here's one. Louis CK releasing a special when no one can leave the room feels pretty on brand, to be honest. Yep. And you don't have to watch it. It's on his website. What's the joke? Elizabeth says, everyone is trapped in a room, terrified and exhausted. There's never been a more appropriate time for Louis CK to release a comedy special. Is that a compliment? I, I feel like that's a, that's a, I feel like that's a compliment. This person says, checks Twitter, sees Louis CK, Steve Bannon, Joe Rogan, Bill Maher, and Sean King all trending. And then they show the meme where Abe Simpson walks in the burlesque house and then turns on and walks away. I'm so sorry this is happening to you. Things in the world happen and people exist. So what? You know, I, I feel like these people never gone, have never gone outside. And like, ha, 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 you, look, you go outside, guess what? Sometimes a bird will poop on you. Do you cry about it? Do you curl up in a ball and become disabled? No, you wipe it off. You grumble. You go home, change your clothes, and you be upset about it, but you move on. So what that Joe Rogan, Bill Maher, and Bannon are trending? Pronoun guy says, oh my God, Louis C.K. is using the pandemic to promote his new special. You cannot go any lower. Aw, poor babies. You can't go any lower? Yes, you can. You can gloat about the pandemic and cheer for it. There are many tiers below comedian releases comedy special. Here's the best part. They write, if you're looking for a comedy special with a non-problematic comedian, I highly recommend Fortune Femster's Sweet and Salty, which is available on Netflix now. And they play, a, uh, they, they, they have a tr- the trailer for this uh, comedy special from Fortune Femster, Sweet and Salty. I got, I got no, no beef. Uh, I actually would uh, just give a shout out and say, yeah, by all means, go on Netflix and watch this as a comedian. I'm not sure who Fortune Femster is. Uh, I didn't particularly like the trailer all that much, but I mean, I mean that in no disrespect, disrespectful way. Not everybody's into every kind of comedy. And uh, yeah, you don't have to watch Louis C.K. I'm not going to sit here and cry and complain that there is a, you know, feminist co- comedy special. I'm going to say, hey, man, if that's your thing, you know, by all means, go for it. I, I get it. Fortune Feimster isn't uh, isn't Louis C.K. and didn't, you know, 
self-gratify while on the phone with women. There's real reasons to criticize, criticize Louis. The point is, look, man, if you don't like his comedy, that's fine. If you don't like her comedy, that's fine. You watch what you want to watch. Everybody, why don't you calm down? But uh, I think it's fair. I'll, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to point out a couple things. You know what I think? This is just them looking for something to write about, to be angry about. And to a certain degree, I do the same thing every day. This is a silly, stupid game we're all playing. Does anyone really care that Louis C.K. came out with this? Do they really care? No. I, I, I do think that at least on, there's a little bit more you know, honesty on my side that I think it's absurd they're even writing about it. But I also do kind of feel stupid even talking about them pretending to be angry about it. I really don't think they're angry about it. I think they're just looking for something to, be, to pretend to be angry about. That's the point. They'll probably go watch it, and then they'll write a whole bunch of articles about what they're pretending to be angry about because they didn't complain about him in the past. They only complain about him now. So whatever. I'm not going to keep rambling. I'll leave it there. I got one more segment coming up for you in a few minutes. I will see you all shortly. Very early on, Senator Tom Cotton, a Republican, said that we should consider the possibility that the COVID-19 may have leaked from a bio lab. He didn't necessarily, well, I, and I, that even may be uh, uh, falsely framing what he actually said. I don't want to put words in his mouth. He just basically brought up, look, that it's most likely naturally occurring, but there are certainly some things we should be looking at. We should take this very, very seriously. Well, early on, all of these people in media started screaming conspiracy theories, saying, no, it's not true. They started misrepresenting what he was actually saying. Well, now, People are actually entertaining the possibility and the mainstream media that the coronavirus may have leaked from a lab, not that it was a bioweapon, not that it was intentionally released, but that it was an accidental release. The funny thing is, I've talked about this a long time ago. Why? I pay attention to the news. There was a story. It was a study that came out of South China University in Beijing that there is a Chinese center for disease control, like basically across the street from the wet market. They reported in their, they wrote in their study that it's possible that an individual who was work researching there on bat coronavirus may have become infected and leaked. Well, now not only do we have the Daily Mail saying, you know, uh, it's no longer being discounted, the Washington Post writes, how did COVID-19 begin? Its initial origin story is shaky. Is the mainstream media now finally entertaining the possibility that this was a major mishap? They actually have an expert Seriously, like a, a, from a, a U.S. university, I think from Rutgers or something, pointing out that they were they were supposed to be using level four security. They used level two. While most people still think it was a naturally occurring thing, the media is starting to come around and entertaining this possibility, which leads me to wonder, will it be another month to where they're finally like, yeah, actually it was, you know, leaked from a lab. The Washington Post report uh, writes, the story of how the novel coronavirus emerged in Wuhan, China, has produced a nasty propaganda battle between the U.S. and China. The two sides have traded off, traded some of the sharpest charges made between the two nations since the Soviet Union falsely accused the CIA of manufacturing AIDS. U.S. Uh, US intelligence officials don't think that the pandemic was caused by deliberate wrongdoing. The outbreak that has now swept the world instead began with a simpler story, albeit one with tragic consequences. The prime suspect is natural transmission from bats to humans, perhaps through unsanitary markets. But scientists don't rule out that an accident at a research lab in Wuhan might have spread a deadly bat virus that, that had been collected for scientific study. Good science, bad safety, is how Senator Tom Cotton put his theory in, in a February 16th tweet. He ranked such a breach, uh, he ranked such a breach or natural transmission as more likely than two extreme possibilities an accidental leak of an engineered bioweapon or a deliberate release. 
Cotton's earlier loose talk about bioweapons had a furor back when he first raised it in late January and called the outbreak worse than Chernobyl. And he was probably right. And the media dismissed him for it. And they shouldn't have. China dished wild, irresponsible allegations of its own. On March 12th, Chinese foreign ministry spokesman Li Jian Zhao charged in a tweet, it might be the U.S. Army who brought the epidemic to Wuhan. He retweeted an article that claimed without evidence, I love when they do that, without evidence, shut up, that U.S. troops might have spread the virus when they attended the world military games in Wuhan in October 2019. China retreated on March 22nd when ambassador to the United States, uh, Chui Tianqi, told Axios on HBO that such rumors were crazy on both sides. A State Department spokesman said Chui's comment was welcome, and Trump and uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping pledged in a March 27 phone call to focus on cooperative behavior. I'm glad to hear it. I wish China told us the truth from the beginning. To be clear, U.S. intelligence officials think there's no, solid, there's no evidence whatsoever that the coronavirus was created in a laboratory as a potential bioweapon. Solid scientific research demonstrates the virus wasn't engineered by humans and that it originated in bats. This, to the best of my understanding, is true. I've seen other sources and even scientific papers that say it originated in bats. But the question is, was it a breach on accident from, you know, they had a naturally occurring virus they were looking at and it got on an accident. But how did the outbreak occur? Solving this medical mystery is important to prevent future pandemics. What's increasingly clear is that the initial origin story the virus was spread by people who ate contaminated animals at the Hunan seafood market in Wuhan is shaky. Scientists, scientists have identified the culprit as a bat coronavirus. Through genetic sequencing, bats weren't, uh, bats weren't sold at the seafood market, although that market or others could have sold animals that had, that had contact with bats. The Lancet noted in a January study that the first COVID-19 case in Wuhan had no connection to the seafood market. There's a competing theory of an accidental lab release of a bat coronavirus that scientists have been puzzling about for weeks. Less than 300 yards from the seafood market is the Wuhan branch of the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Researchers from the facility and nearby Wuhan Institute of Virology have posted articles about collecting bat coronaviruses from around China for study to prevent future illnesses. Did one of those sample leak or was a hazardous waste deposited in a place where it could spread? Now, but I'm going to read you this quote from the scientist, but I have to point out something. YouTube has instituted editorial rules for what you can and cannot say, and you cannot defy scientific consensus. That's what they say. What does that even mean? How are you supposed to know what the consensus is? And what if the consensus is wrong? I talked about this a long time ago. Was it consensus because a scientific research paper came out from China? Or was it not consensus because the media was saying it was not true? Well, now the media is saying it is true. You're going to go back and fix all my videos you demonetized when I was talking about this? Probably not. The game that YouTube plays because they're inept and terrified is that they let the media say whatever it wants and whatever they say is true, but whatever their own homegrown creators say must be false. Congratulations, YouTube. You're, you're, you're hurting your own content. Richard Ebright, a Rutgers microbiologist and biosafety expert, told me in an email the first human infection could have occurred as a natural accident, with the virus passing from bat to human, possibly through another animal. But Ebright cautioned that it could also have occurred as a laboratory accident, with, for example, an accidental infection of a laboratory worker. He noted that bat coronaviruses were studied in Wuhan at biosafety level two, which provides only minimal protection compared with the top biosafety level four. 
Ebright described a December video from the Wuhan CDC that shows staffers collecting bat coronaviruses with inadequate personal protective equipment and unsafe operational practices. Separately, I reviewed two Chinese articles from 2017 and 2019 describing the heroics of Wuhan CDC researcher Tian Junhua, who, who, while capturing bats in a cave, forgot to take protective measures so that bat urine dripped from the top of his head like raindrops. And that's what was reported from the from Beige, uh, South China University in Beijing. Washington Post now corroborating essentially just that much. Now, I think I don't know if he's quoting the individual. No, I think he's actually writing himself, the, the writer of the Washington Post article. So everybody who then tried to discount this, this, this hypothesis. So what? They were espousing fake news. Their, their absurd skepticism held us back from what was we now know to be likely or possible, I should say. And then there's the Chinese study that was curiously withdrawn. In February, a site called ResearchGate published a brief article by Batao Zhao and Lei Zhao from Guangzhou's South China University of Technology. In addition to origins of natural, natural recombination and intermediate host, the killer coronavirus probably originated from a laboratory in Wuhan. Safety level may need to be reinforced in high secure, high risk biohazardous laboratories, the article concluded. Botao Zhao told the Wall Street Journal in February that he had withdrawn the paper because it was not supported by direct proofs. Accidents happen, human or laboratory. Solving the mystery of how COVID-19 began isn't a blame game but a chance for China and the United States to cooperate in a crisis and prevent a future one. Well, I'm not entirely convinced that we can ever completely normalize and, you know, fix relations with China. Things have been shaky and it's been getting worse. While I like the idea of us repairing relationships, I'm not sure I trust the Chinese government. But this story shows us something else. The dangers of pathetic, inept, incompetent media with an inability to actually research this. This is sort of an addendum to the segment I did on my main channel where I talked about the, politization, the, the, the politicizing of the coronavirus pandemic. Because anything Trump says must be wrong. Because anything a Republican says must be wrong. They immediately smeared and discounted what Tom Cotton had been saying, what Trump had been saying, only for a month or two later to come out and say, oops, yep, it was true. Now, here we are. Republicans, conservatives, moderates, independent media were talking exact, about this exact thing last month. And it was, and the media said it was fringe nonsense. YouTube deranked and demonetized content that brought it up. Now what? The Washington Post is saying, oh, uh, we actually verified some of this might be legit. So, so now what? Do we have to wait two months for confirmation on every story because the mainstream media doesn't know how to do their jobs? Because they don't know how to do a simple Google search before just yelling at someone saying you're wrong. How amazing is it that Tom Cotton, Republican, looked into this, said, hey, this makes sense. And the media, without evidence, said he was crazy. Perhaps if they took the two seconds to actually look into the claims he was making, they would have found, oh, there is some veracity to this. If we, if we react to every crisis based on the media's skepticism and constant orange man bad narrative, we're not going to react properly to real problems. It's probably why we are, we, are, we are where we are today. But I'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out. I will see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. on this channel. And uh, yeah, I'll see you then.